Hello, it's Basha Cummings here. I'm an editor at Tortoise, which is the home of Sweet Bobby, Hoaxed and many more award-winning investigative podcasts. I'm here to tell you about Tortoise Investigates, where we curate the best of our chart-topping investigations in one place. Everything from extraordinary tales of deception to a suspicious killing to one mother's decades-long fight with the police. Just search for Tortoise Investigates wherever you get your podcasts. There is a point in every investigative podcast where, as a listener, I ask myself, so what? Why should I care? A chase is exciting. A million-dollar prize is a motivation. A crypto coin that props up the whole ecosystem that hasn't yet shown its hand is worrying. But to whom? So far, I've been on the physical hunt for Tether's cash. In this episode, we're looking at the reasons why finding it is so important. This is the point where things start to spiral. It is 2020, and Tether's reserves are multiplying like rabbits. There are billions of Tether crypto tokens in the world, and the people at the top are looking for their next steps to embark on the next phase of making the crypto dream a reality. It's time for a reinvention. Like Madonna, every few years, a new look, a new tour, same madge. These execs want Tether and its sister exchange Bitfinex to become more than just a currency exchange. They say they want to help companies or countries raise money by selling securities. But they want to do it with crypto. One foot in the old world, one foot in the new. This is Real Money from Tortoise. I'm Alex Kratoski. People who trade stocks and bonds are based in a handful of places, New York, London, Hong Kong. But in 2020, the team behind Bitfinex and Tether began looking for a license to trade financial assets in the way they wanted to. The voice you're going to hear next is Paolo Ardoino, Tether and Bitfinex's chief technology officer, talking on The Crypto Conversation in February 2022. We started looking around and see which jurisdictions could allow us to access a license that would allow us to trade these um, securities, to put in a simple way. There were not many options. So we looked at Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan had a new financial zone that was allowing exchanges, but uh, it was also crypto-friendly. Usually when you go to a regulator as a crypto-first company, they always look at you as someone that is scary in a certain sense or risky. But mm, Kazakhstan was quite open to that. And so it took 18 months to obtain that license. Crypto-friendly is important here. The major exchanges, like the New York Stock Exchange or the London Stock Exchange, are in jurisdictions that regulate financial products. But crypto, remember, doesn't like regulations. The Kazakh operation has direct access to the Russian and Central Asian markets. But 
it's also far away from Western banking regulations. On top of that, it's inside a so-called special economic zone that's separate even from Kazakhstan's own regulatory authority, complete with its own court system. Favorable or what? But they don't have easy access to the U.S. dollar. For that, Bitfinex and Tether found a whole new currency dream in the tiny Central American nation of... El Salvador. El Salvador. This look represents El Salvador's history of currency. This clip is from the 2023 Miss Universe pageant in New Orleans. Miss El Salvador's gold boots click across the stage. She's dressed as a human-sized Bitcoin. For a long time, cocoa was used, and then the cologne, until it was replaced by the U.S. dollar. In 2021, El Salvador became the first country in the world to use Bitcoin as legal tender. You don't need a sash to walk around dressed as cash like El Salvador. That's right. You heard correctly. In 2021, El Salvador committed to crypto. It became the first country in the world to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. And after it became official currency, this happened. Fireworks and gray curls of smoke cannons partially cover a big screen, playing to crowds at the beach resort of Mizata in El Salvador. Peeping through the plumes is a CGI animation of an exploding volcano. A spaceship scoots across the sky. An avatar appears of the country's president, Nayib Bukele. He's wearing a white baseball cap backwards, paired with some heavy aviators, and then, out of the mist... Naib Bukele himself appears on stage in the same outfit. His slogan, Feel the Bit, is in neon and giant letters across the giant screen. The event looks more like a Drake tribute concert or a Kendall Roy birthday party, but is, in fact, the president's official announcement of his plans to build Bitcoin City, an international crypto haven that will scrap all taxes for global entrepreneurs who relocate their headquarters there and will power Bitcoin mining by volcanic lava. I'm not joking. El Salvador is raising one billion U.S. dollars in Bitcoin bonds, loans to the country that people buy using Bitcoin to break ground. And a familiar face is running the bond exchange for El Salvador. Bitfinex Securities is actually the technological provider for El Salvador to issue this crypto bond or crypto token with uh, bond-like features. After their proof of concept in Kazakhstan, the Tether and Bitfinex team was introduced to Bekele's advisor by Bitcoin apostle Samson Mao. Mao has been pushing hard for nation states to adopt crypto, and he was on stage with Bukele at that Bitcoin City event. What What is Bukele like? Oh, I get asked that a lot. President Bukele is a very straight shooter. Like, when I speak with him, it's like speaking to an old friend that I've known, you know, since uh, primary school. And, you know, sometimes his opinions might go against, uh, you know, accepted 
common uh, thinking, but he does say what he thinks and he doesn't hold back. It's just very, very refreshing. And I think that that's why he's a Bitcoiner, because Bitcoiners are like that. We know there's a relationship between Tether and El Salvador. Can you break that relationship down for us? The first link, I believe, was when I introduced him and his team to um, the president there and his team when we were planning out the uh, Bitcoin bonds. And since then, the, the, the relationship has deepened. Bitfinex has their, their agreement to be the platform, the technology platform, facilitating the Bitcoin bond sale. But of course, you know, Tether is good for El Salvador and for Latin America because it is U.S. dollars that are accessible to the world. We've spoken about the close relationship between the exchange Bitfinex and the crypto coin Tether. Both fall under the same parent company, iFinex. And the companies have almost exactly the same people in executive positions. Giancarlo Devasini, the plastic surgeon, is chief financial officer for both companies. Jean-Louis Vandervelde is the same ghost-like CEO. Paolo Ardoino is the same chatty chief technology officer. Their relationship was thrown under a magnifying glass when the New York Attorney General investigated the two companies for occasionally propping up each other's bank accounts. And where Bitfinex goes in El Salvador, Tether is not far behind. This is what El Salvador's adoption of Bitcoin meant to Bitfinex and Tether's chief technology officer, Paolo. It was a dream come true. The most important moment for Bitcoin was actually seeing Bitcoin being tested in a massive real-world scenario. And this is the first time that it can happen, right? We, had, we kept telling each other and ourselves, Bitcoin can save countries. And so this is the first time where people can put their money where their mouth is. So many of the people I'm talking to are feeling the urge of making sure that this is going to be succeeding in experiment. I can't help but think that Paolo's enthusiasm about Bitcoin is more than an ideological victory. You see, if Bitcoin succeeds, so does Tether. More than half of all Bitcoin is purchased using Tether. Bring Bitcoin to the people and Tether will follow. It is worth noting, though, that the reverse is not necessarily true. If Bitcoin fails, Tether probably won't go with it. There are many other crypto coins in the sea, and Tether is the number one stablecoin used to buy them all. El Salvador is the start of the shift away from the old world to a brave new one. And if the hype is to be believed, it's a place where dreams are made. Here is where the first uh, ATM, you know, Bitcoin ATM was, oh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. they moved it. Juan is a journalist in El Salvador who's worked on stories about Bitcoin and is our on-the-ground guide for the next few days. I don't know if they get or they really understand that Bukele is not investing his money. You know, he's investing the people's money. Many times we talk about people as Salvadorans, but, you know, the country does not have that money. Bukele is taking a gamble. He believes that Bitcoin promises a new future for El Salvador, one that rewrites the violent history of the small Central American nation. He imagines that with Bitcoin, it will no longer be an economic dead end, but the place where it feels like the future. The Bitcoin plan has some hard supporters, visionaries who believe Bitcoin can transform the country. As an individual who invests in cryptocurrency, you take the risk. 
We have all heard the stories of people making it big and people losing everything. If you are going to play in these whale-infested waters, you have to remember the most important rule. But in El Salvador, the risk is being made for the whole country. It is a risk that started with a dream of surfers in the beach town of El Zonte. El Zonte is on the rocky coast of El Salvador. There is construction on the road to the beach, which is unpaved and full of holes you'd lose a car in, which we almost do. It makes a change from the beautiful new highway from the capital where we turned off. We pass low-slung coffee shops. We check into our surf shack and back in the car to cross the river that cuts the town in half at high tide. So it took us about five minutes in the car. We're turning in now. There's a giant white oil can, oil sort of barrel, rain barrel that has a big Bitcoin B on it. Here in El Zonte, a community organization was willing to take on an experiment to transform the local economy into crypto. Coin Beach, Hope House, bang on nine o'clock. Tourists came and they bought fresh local fruit with digital money. And locals received wages and remittances in crypto. And they began to save money. It seemed like this crypto idea could actually turn real. When we got there, we saw Bitcoin believers buying T-shirts and influencers recording themselves doing crypto transactions for their social media. We met a guy named Wayne, American, late 50s, following the crypto dream to El Salvador. I'm living here for the time being in, um, in El Zante um, because I purchased a very large piece of property here that we plan on creating a, um, you know, a Bitcoin community. It seems to me like there is a leap of faith that is going into a lot of the community building that, again, reminds me very much of the early internet when you had people like... Right putting stakes in the ground and yeah, saying, yeah, this yeah. will become right, right. the new world order. It's essentially kind of a pilgrimage here. Christians, you know, go to the Vatican and Muslims go to Mecca. You know, Bitcoiners come here. Uh, you know, when I first got here to El Salvador, I, we went, went to San Salvador, went up on a look at the volcano, mm-hmm. there, right? And I looked down at San Salvador and I thought, this teeny little country, every one of these, you know, Central American countries has the same problem. How do you bring prosperity? How do you bring prosperity to a country that has been just hammered by the American dollar and by the, uh, the IMF. And, and ultimately, it's got to be something new. It's got to be something that, you know, no one else is doing. And Bukele figured that out. It's Bitcoin, right? And he laid the groundwork for people like Wayne to come and change the world. Gentrification is a tough thing. It's tough here. It's tough anywhere. And so, um, you know, just accommodating a bunch of, you know, well-to-do Bitcoiners is really not something that I you know, wanted to do. And so this property has a, um, has a farm on it and the farm was abandoned about six years ago. And so we, um, we are talking about starting a, um, a macadamia nut cooperative there. So the, the, the climate here is perfect for macadamia nuts. We visited uh, a cooperative in Guatemala where, um, you know, the... Wayne wants to build a macadamia nut farm cooperative where locals and crypto dreamers homestead and imagine a new way of life. You could follow this family tree back to the beginnings of the internet. Collective action, a brief that you should act local to have a global impact, that people are de facto good. But his dream 
is balancing on a very unstable currency in a very unstable country. Well, I, I just don't think Bitcoin, you know, can crash. Between when we recorded this in July 2022 and when you're hearing it, Bitcoin lost 30% of its value, which, being volatile, it has since almost regained. And I don't know if Wayne or people are understanding, especially coming from abroad, you know, and coming into this Bitcoin country, that they talk about it's fine if it goes down and, you know, things will get better and this is how it works. You know, he can wait, he can have, I don't know how much he has, but he can have 20,000 just be in this uh, Bitcoin investment for 10 years and it won't hurt him at all. He'll continue to have a decent uh, way of life. Juan is right. For someone like Wayne, a Bitcoin country is an exciting opportunity, a blank page that he can write the next chapter of his life on. But Wayne is an outsider. He doesn't speak the language. He doesn't have permanent roots here. He has enough wealth and social capital to leave if it doesn't work out. In fact, he told us he's already looking for a place to live in neighboring country Guatemala. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. What comes to mind when you think of Amber Heard? A liar? A survivor? A narcissist? The trial of Depp v. Heard was a global phenomenon, but I want to know, was it a fair fight? I'm Alexi Mostris, the host of Sweet Bobby and Hoaxed. In my new podcast, I'm investigating whether Amber Heard was the victim of an organised trolling campaign. Just search for Who Trolled Amber wherever you get your podcasts. Samson Mao told me that stablecoins, like Tether, are part of the grand plan for hyper-Bitcoinization, for anywhere that's making this transition that still needs to have the dollar unit of account. Stablecoins are a necessary stepping stone because they're not as volatile. And that is the case here in El Salvador, where 26% of the GDP comes from remittances from outside the country, mostly sent from the U.S., so it's not surprising to us that Tether had an early foothold in this market. One of the main architects of El Salvador's Bitcoin plans was a crypto bro from Chicago. Jack Mallers had a plan where Salvadorans in the U.S. would be able to send their American dollars back to relatives in El Salvador for their family to redeem them 
as tethers. And I was sitting uh, in a sushi restaurant with my friends that had traveled with me just to be helpful. This is Jack speaking about the way the idea had spiraled on the podcast, What Bitcoin Did. Like, I don't speak Spanish, right? Like, <laughs> and uh, so we were sitting and eating sushi, and they were like, oh my God, we're all over the news. And every El Salvadorian like, Facebook group and everything was strike, and the like, remittance is free, download this app, and you don't have to go to Western Union, and you can fix, like it improves your life and all of these things we're seeing all over the internet. And I'm like, okay, you got to ignore it. Like, just keep working, keep working. This would be done through his app, Strike. The problem? There were only two Strike ATMs in El Salvador at that time. And the U.S. dollars that Salvadoran expats had worked for were coming back to their families, not in dollars, but in the value of tethers, which they then had to convert into Bitcoin to cash out in dollars. Maybe this idea was too early. But for whatever reason, the relationship between Strike and El Salvador has cooled since then. Tether is no longer a part of anything. Tether was part of the plan and originally because it had to be, because I didn't have a choice. And then, you know, you launch with Tether, you growth hack, you learn uh, and be a good listener and be a good observer. You end up meeting with the president and helping define regulatory clarity in the country. And then you roll Tether out, get it the fuck out of here and you help the country build uh, the most financially inclusive and resilient and reliable financial infrastructure any country's ever seen in human history. This isn't the greatest vote of confidence for Tether. And we don't know why Jack dropped them from the billing. But they had that foothold in El Salvador already with Tethers on the ground. I met with a man from El Salvador named Domingo, whose job it is to dig around in the back ends of technologies to find any holes or inconsistencies. We talked with him on the phone because he's spoken publicly against the Bukele Bitcoin plan for the country, and so he's been forced to leave. What was it about the country, the financial system, that made it a good fit for Tether and Bitfinex? What's mostly beneficial to them is El Salvador's access to U.S. dollar and U.S. capital and U.S. investments. Their main product, USDT, tethers, tether tokens for U.S. dollars, would be easier for them to uh, fund or to get access to dollars by going to a dollarized nation where they can skip the hurdle of doing currency conversions or where they can skip international transfers in order to get the U.S. dollars after they have uh, gained a uh, hold on assets in the national currency like in Kazakhstan. So that makes it a very uh, attractive country for a company like Tether or Bitfinex that have their sights set straight on those sweet U.S. dollars, but don't really want to be bothered by complying with uh, U.S. regulations that are, in the recent years, coming harder and harder onto the crypto market. Surely, if you're opening up a, a trade securities exchange, which is what they did, um, or certainly got the license to do so in Kazakhstan and then also ultimately in El Salvador, if you're opening up a, 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 a trade securities exchange, you do it if you're a financial services organization in New York, or you do it in London, or you do it in Frankfurt, which are the traditional banking centers. Why would you do it? Why, to the outside world, would you do it in El Salvador or Kazakhstan? 
this will essentially enable them to sell unregulated securities to U.S. customers and get U.S. dollars in El Salvador, essentially bypassing regulations. El Salvador is rather low-hanging fruit. <laughs> it's a vulnerable country with a vulnerable economy, a fragile democracy that now is completely collapsed. So it's very easy for a private company with enough capital to have an influence and essentially set up a banana republic. What Domingo is suggesting is a far cry from the dream of a more equal financial system. It's late in the afternoon and we're driving to the airport, trying not to think about the turbulence because we're in the middle of another afternoon storm. It's the rain hammering the windscreen as we drive along the highway. I'm reflecting on all that we have heard during our time here. It is in many ways the antithesis of the blockchain because it isn't open, it isn't transparent. And I'm thinking about how this billion-dollar dream was funded. Sure, use public finances. I mean, questionably, but use public finances to invest in things. Companies do it. Countries do it. Individuals do it. You want to make some money? Here's a good way to make some money. Invest. They could have just kept it at that and said, we're investing in cryptocurrencies. But they didn't. Instead... They offered incentives for outsiders to come in and are doing all of their publicity, all of their marketing in English outside to other people, to the rest of the world, particularly the English-speaking world, come here to El Salvador and, you know, occupy in crypto land uh, this place where you can use cryptocurrencies and you can have a El Salvador passport. Why do that? And then the other thing is, why enforce a national currency that is not rolled out well, that is hugely expensive to maintain, has obviously been implemented in a very shoddy half-hours kind of way, and that, frankly, there's been no actual support on the ground for people to use, as we've heard, you know, in the farming communities, as we've heard in the marketplace. These are the questions trying to find out who's behind it, helping to create a crypto nation state. And also, why? Why? I believe the answer became clearer earlier this month. El Salvador passed a digital asset securities law that observers believe was carefully worded into reality by executives at Tether and Bitfinex. Like their Kazakh operation, it makes El Salvador a special economic zone that exempts crypto from regulations. Now they have one exchange linked to the CIS and one that is a gateway to the international finance system via SWIFT and IBAN. Both exchanges are outside any regulator jurisdictions. There's nothing like being a journalist and like see to your pants. Like this is the most anxiety-inducing job. It's like, are we gonna get that person? Are we gonna get that person? Are we gonna get that person? And it's usually like on the way to the airport. We've been trying to get in touch with Bukele himself and the team that implemented the plan. Uh 
Joanna. I know we have just entered the check-in line at the airport, but um, has Juan already left the airport? So you know why you were repacking your bag? Yeah. yeah. Um, I went to Twitter and two little notifications that weren't there before. And Carlos Alfaro. This is President Bukele's Bitcoin advisor. I'm sorry, this is so late. Hi, Alex. Sorry that until now I see this message. We've made contact with somebody who was in the room when they were determining the strategy for how to implement this from a local to a national. Um, And he sounds open to conversation. And so we shall pursue this when we get back to New York. I knew we'd get a message as soon as we got to the airport. I appreciate your optimism. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to take some of that shine and apply it to my life. I was thinking at departure lounge, so maybe we'll get <laughs> so we would have been in through the security. <laughs> yeah. But this guy at check-in is great. Yeah, really happy about that. recording this on my phone because my producer is a few seats away, a few rows away on the plane and we are just lining up on uh, runway 7 to leave San Salvador and uh, a contact that I have has just got back in touch with me to say that he has some direct contacts with the president himself and uh, it's, a, it's a phone number that he occasionally answers so this is brilliant uh, when we get on the ground we shall um, make our next moves. It's just a shame we're doing it when we're on the runway leaving. I'm so sorry that, that we missed one another when we were in El Salvador. Yeah, no, it's uh, I did some checks before I saw who, who, about you because there are a lot of scams on Twitter. Yeah. You seem legit, that is, so here that, we are. Exactly. That is the, that's the modern currency, isn't it? Carlos believes crypto is the catalyst for something even more revolutionary than most of us imagine. Well, we had the separation of church and state, Um, but 300 years ago, 200 years ago, something like that. And now we're seeing, we're starting to see the separation of money and state. And and once you start seeing it that way, then it's much bigger than whatever I I have thought or imagined. I think it's going to take time. What has been achieved so far, it's good. And second half of this year, you'll see some very interesting stuff. Happening. I love how it's always, there's something yeah. coming, there's something coming. There's always something coming, isn't there? There's always yes. something coming. There is always something 
coming when it comes to the religion of crypto, whether it's the next big investment or the next bull market or Tether's finances. So much of this story is based on the idea that if you imagine it hard enough, the future you want will happen. I am all for having a positive attitude, but none of this is informed by reality. Depending on your stance on Bitcoin, you could say Bukele has either gone into a casino and put the entire treasury on black, or he's seen the future of finance and he's dreaming big. Fact is, El Salvador purchased 420 bitcoins in October 2021. The total cost of the coins at the time was $25 million. Today, those 420 coins are valued at $9.6 million. Each coin is now worth around a third of what it was at the time of that initial investment. And there have been other purchases. The dream is painted by people like Brock Pierce and Samson Mao and Bukele and the people who run Tether. And yes, even the people who make podcasts about crypto. It's lived by outsiders like Wayne. The reality is owned by the people in El Salvador who have had their financial sovereignty decided for them. If Nate Anderson gives us the million-dollar bounty, that means that we have uncovered something that proves Tether is or is not backed the way they say it is. My life would change with that money. But that's only a fraction of the money that's been taken from the public funds of El Salvador. The magnitude of what is happening in that country really hits home for me that it's even more important to find the evidence of Tether's backing. This is real money. In the next episode, we're going to Switzerland, where we hope to take this to the people who have the answers, Tether themselves. I'm Alex Kortoski. This is Real Money from Tortoise. This series was reported by me, Alex Kratoski. It was written by me and Joanna Humphreys. The producer is Joanna Humphreys. Sound design is by Carla Patella. Original theme is by Tom Kinsella. With thanks to Bennett Tomlin and the team at Protoss, Juan Carlos, Domingo Flores, and The Crypto Conversation. The executive producer is Carrie Thomas. Real Money is a Tortoise production. Tortoise members and Tortoise Plus subscribers on Apple Podcasts get exclusive and ad-free access to real money, as well as Tortoise's other investigative series. Simply subscribe to Tortoise Plus on Apple Podcasts or join Tortoise as a member, where you will also get invites to exclusive events in our newsroom. Go to tortoisemedia.com slash realmoney for a special offer to become a member today.
What comes to mind when you think of Amber Heard? A liar? A survivor? A narcissist? The trial of Depp v. Heard was a global phenomenon, but I want to know, was it a fair fight? I'm Alexi Mostris, the host of Sweet Bobby and Hoaxed. In my new podcast, I'm investigating whether Amber Heard was the victim of an organised trolling campaign. Just search for Who Trolled Amber wherever you get your podcasts.